So uh, Mr. COVID struck again, and uh, people are out, and uh, Dan, uh, Ben was going to share this morning. We were all on the edges of our seats, so you might as well sit back now because the boring guy is here instead of Ben. And uh, yeah, it just kind of disrupted everything. He was going to be leading worship, and so Jay, I appreciate you and the team stepping up and filling in. Uh, he was nervous, so you guys made him look okay. Good job. Made them look good, I mean. Right? Thank you. I like the songs, too. Um, two of them in particular. Uh, one, the last one we just sang, came out of all the worship wars, right? Oh, we don't like this, and we don't like that. And they sing... Here's one of my favorite lines from the older generation. Oh, you sing those 7-Eleven songs, you know? You know that one? Yeah? Seven words spoken 11 times over and again. It almost sounds like a psalm from the Old Testament. We wouldn't want to sing a psalm from the Old Testament, would we? Or the other side, you know, wild, raucous, shameful, boogie-woogie, as I like to say. You know what? If the heart is right, we're pleasing God. You can say theologically wrong things. That's not good. That, I mean, you want to be right. And a lot of the songs that were written sometimes are lacking in that. But if we're worshiping the Lord, I have a feeling it's a sweet savor to him, whether it's your cup of tea or not. Anyway, I'm preaching a little, aren't I? And I haven't started my sermon, so I hope you're fastening your seatbelts. Um, one other thing I needed to mention. It reminded me, Come Thou Fount, Jay, is one of my favorites. I really like that. And... Um, you know, when you don't, the thing about both of those songs, it's speaking into the reality that believers should be in a journey of growing where we really get to know ourselves. Now, it's really more about knowing Jesus, right? I'm moving close and I'm going to get in trouble with the TV set. You folks out in television land, thank you. We'll wait on you. Anyway. Prone to wander. I remember years ago working in an assembly, there was a person who worked for the assembly. Their salary was paid by the assembly, who went off on that song. That's ridiculous. Prone to wander. Like, I've never done that. And the attitude was so, thank you. I was going to say stinky, but self-righteous is better. That you don't even realize you've already wandered off the reservation and you don't realize it. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Left to ourselves, we need grace every day, right? And so do I. So, praise the Lord, he gives it to us. So, last week, um, this week we were supposed to have Ben. We were all looking forward to that, and he was preaching on Paul's conversion, which is, uh, he kind of connects with that now. I wonder why. And then... Um, Last week, we had a much more spiritual speaker because you could tell by his accent, the Brit. And my wife complimented him over lunch and said, you know, your sermon was concise. It was clear. It was well communicated and it was short. <laughs> so I said, well, I'll make sure I'm confusing, not concise very long because I don't want you people getting spoiled you know that would be a bad thing to happen on the final days of my watch here so glad you can take a joke how you doing Brandon good okay I haven't driven you out yet all right he's thinking about it 
Take your Bibles if you have them, and if not, I'm helping you out with screens today. Chapter 14 of the book of Acts, we're in a series. We're in a series called Encounters in Acts. And uh, those of you who got a bullet and you see my title, and you know what the asterisk means. If you're a regular here, if you're not, welcome. And if you're not used to a church that uh, has a pastor with a kind of odd sense of humor, I'm sorry. But that's the way it is today. And uh, unintended consequences. Unintended consequences with an asterisk. Really, I didn't need to put the asterisk up. You know why? I looked online. There's this amazing thing called the Internet. I just discovered the last couple of weeks. I'm kidding. And if you type in unintended consequences, you'll pull up no less than 10 plus books with the same title or part of that as subtitle or whatever it is, unintended consequences. It's all over the place, including tweaks on it, like unintentional or unexpected consequences. And it covers all kinds of subjects. The first one that came up was about money management, uh, the economy, everything you learned is wrong, politics, the effects of po- political decisions, the negatives that come out of Hopefully good laws, we've seen some of that lately and more of it happening. Technology, the Holocaust was one of them, having the effect on the church, unintended consequences of going along with the government or whatever it happened to be in, in, in uh, Nazi Germany. Two thrillers, two dramas. And that's what I want to preach today as a thriller. But anyway, antitoxins. Something on fertility, something on poverty. There were so many subjects. It was like, why would I have to asterisk and give credit to anybody? So I'm not giving credit to anybody but myself. I picked the name Unintended Consequences because there are times that things happen that we don't have any control over. And if anything, I'm thinking about when we go praying today and as we're thinking into the future and the transition coming in our assembly and are we going to be a fruit-bearing congregation? Can we get out as so many churches are so internally focused rather than externally focused? If we're going in that direction, sometimes you cannot control the responses of people or societies to what we believe or what we share. And I guess my encouragement is we're simply called, so if you don't take it, if you have to leave, just take this with you. Your job is to obey what God tells you. And then after that, you have to leave the responses to God. You have to leave the results. In fact, that was Bill Bright's definition of evangelism when he used to train. This is 34, when was that? How many years ago? I was in Denver, Colorado, so that was the 70s. Here's life, Denver. We had training. Evangelism, he said, is sharing the gospel in the power of the Holy Spirit. That's the main thing for a believer is to learn how to walk in the Spirit. And when he gives you opportunity, you share your story or whatever it might be, however much of uh, Scripture or whatever. You don't have to have a series of verses. But sharing the gospel in the power of the Holy Spirit and leaving the results to... That wasn't a trick question. God. See, we often try to control it, don't we? 
So we're going to look at a story today where things really kind of feel like they got out of control. So we'll wander through the text together. It's in the book of Acts, <clears throat> chapter 14. And the first portion is in verse 8. And Paul and Barnabas have come down from another, another city where they had preached the gospel and saw, saw people come to faith. And they were um, opposed by certain people in the, in the uh, Jewish community. So they come to another town, and at Lystra, that's the new town, verse 8, a man was sitting who had no strength in his feet, lame from his mother's womb, congenital disease that kept him from walking, who had never walked. This man was listening to Paul as he spoke, who when he had fixed his gaze on him and had seen that he had faith to be made well, we don't know exactly how that worked. I have some hints here and there in some of my own experiences, but we don't know totally. But the spirit quickened to Paul, I'm about to do something. Listen up. And so Paul stands over the man, says with a loud voice, stand up on your feet. And he leapt up and began to walk. Now, that would get your attention on a Sunday morning. That kind of a miracle. And we think... What was the response of this man? Well, he rises up, and I think we would like to believe, and I think probably it's true, that he put his faith in this person named Jesus who just gave his legs strength. I would hope. But you know what? There's nothing explaining that that happened. You say, oh, well, of course he became a Christian. Really? This is why I try to encourage us as Christians, when we read the scripture, try to read under the surface a little bit. Think about what's going on. Dig a little deeper. Don't just assume. Let me explain what I mean by that. There's a phenomenal story in the Gospels. You might remember Jesus is walking with his entourage. There are 10 lepers. They're hanging out. You know, people who are homeless and hurting, they... They form community just like we all do. We want to form a community. So here's these 10 men. And they're so wounded by their situation, being rejected and isolated because they have leprosy, which everyone would avoid, you know. Get back. Lepers, you have to, you have to keep your distance. It was worse than COVID in that regard. Keep your distance. Stay out. Stay out of town. And here they are together. And they're a mix. There's Jews and there's some who are not and you're going to see in the story. So they cry out to Jesus for mercy, and he simply says, well, okay, I'm going to grant your request, so what should you do? Most of them are Jews. Go back to the temple, offer to the priest the sacrifice of thanksgiving for your healing. And as they're going, they get healed. They don't even make it to church. And they get healed. And one of them goes, What? Well, I don't know if he said that, but I think he did. Or, no, he would have said, ma, because that's Hebrew for what? Ma. And he turns around and he runs back to Jesus. And here's where the story picks up. Now, one of them, when he saw that he'd been healed, turned back, glorifying God with a loud voice. So he was even louder than I said it. And he fell on his face at his feet, giving thanks to him. And he was a one of them. Now, isn't that interesting? The implication is the good church people, the Jewish guys, didn't come back to say thank you. The Samaritan, who's an outsider, comes back and gives thanks to Jesus. 
He was a Samaritan. And Jesus answered and said, weren't ten cleansed? But the nine, where are they? Was no one found who turned back to give glory to God except this goy? <laughs> it's actually other person type person. He said to him, rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. It's a great story, isn't it? So here this outsider receives the blessing. And we don't have much doubt in his case that when the church was formed later, he was part of it somewhere. A true believer. But it doesn't always work that way. And I just want you to be aware that sometimes we have unexpected, unintended consequences when even a miracle takes place. Over the years, I've seen God do some remarkable things in some people's life, even in terms of physical healing. And I would love to say that everyone who was the recipient of one of those incredible interactions from God walked powerfully in the Holy Spirit for the rest of their life, but I would be lying to you. Prone to wander. Lord, I feel it. And so I know one, it comes to mind, I didn't want to report it because it's, it's got some kind of painful history to it, but unmistakable healing took place in this one person's life. And later on, I just heard the sad news of how nasty and bitter that person had become. So don't automatically assume what we don't know clearly comes from God. But what that should speak to us is, am I going to pray for help so that I'm not prone to wander? And then when I start to wander, it gives me a good swift kick, well, a nice encouraging pat on the back to get me back on the right path. Amen? so that I'm like that Samaritan coming back to Jesus with thanks and praise and true belief. So that's the first thing. The beneficiary in your notes, we don't know what ultimately happened to him. My suspicion is he probably followed the Lord. In the case of Jesus and the lepers, we don't know how many of them became believers, and I suspect some of them didn't. Very likely. Could have happened. We don't know. So that's the first thing, the unknown response. But here's where it really becomes fun. How could something so amazing and wonderful turn south? The audience. So let's read it together. Uh, not out loud. I'll read it to you. You can follow along. And when the multitude saw what Paul had done, they raised their voice, saying in the Lyconian language, the gods have become like men and have come down to us. And they began calling Barnabas Zeus and Paul Hermes because he was the chief speaker. And the priest of Zeus, whose temple was just outside the city, brought oxen and garlands to the gates and wanted to offer sacrifice. to. The... Don't go any further yet. Hold it right there. We're going to stop it right there. That would be the custom you take... Uh, the sacrificial animal, you put lovely garlands and flowers all over them because that's the only appropriate way to greet the gods. And we read that story and we go, duh, really? Well, you guys just haven't watched Jason and the Argonauts enough. That's the problem. If you watch movies like that, you know, they come down and make believe they're a human girl or boy. And they're very capricious and very immoral, actually, the gods of the Greeks and the Romans. 
And this, of course, was a description of uh, Zeus and Hermes, Zeus, the master of the gods, if you will, Jupiter in the Roman pantheon, and Hermes, who is called Mercury in the Roman pantheon. I got a picture of him just to help us out. There he is. The, the Flash, right? <laughs> there he is. They steal everything. You know, there's nothing original. Solomon said there's nothing new under the sun. Uh, it's the FTD guy delivering flowers. You can see the little wings on his feet and on his hat because that's a picture of speed that he's able to run and fly so quickly in order to bring the message of the gods to the human race. Now, uh, we don't have to keep looking at him, but uh, uh, what was I thinking about? Oh, so they thought seeing, seeing um, Paul and Barnabas, since Paul was the one talking, he must be Hermes. Now, he didn't look like that, I don't think. A little smaller of statue, stature, we believe, and maybe a bad eye. We don't know everything. But, um, but Barnabas, maybe a taller, handsome-looking guy, you know. They noticed him and said, maybe that's Zeus. Now, how did they get such a goofy idea? You know, we look at other cultures and we say, boy, they have crazy ideas. Well, there's some history here. Um, this, this community, Lystra, by the way, we find out later, Timothy was a disciple from this area. And his mother is a Jewess and his father is a Greek. So we know that there's that mix in the community as well as the Laconians who are locals with a dialect that Paul and Barnabas did not understand. They would have undoubtedly been speaking Koine Greek. So while they're speaking, all this drama's going on. Can you imagine the crowd who just saw this healing? And they're in the back row of the crowd and they're going, it's the gods. Now here's the story. This town has a history where Zeus and Hermes had come down to earth earlier and visited in, in this community and nobody disguised. They were disguised. Nobody recognized who they were, so they wouldn't show them any hospitality. But there was a little old couple who took them in and cared for them, and so they were blessed, and the rest of them got wiped out. Well, those people are saying, we're not making that mistake again. So off they run. And by the way, this comes out in multiple commentaries, so it's, it's testified to, and the story is recorded in Ovid's uh, Metamorphosis. So they say, we're not going to make that mistake again. Hurry up, run down to the, the temple, get the priest to get going. We're going to have a sacrifice. Make sure we show them hospitality this time. But it also helps you understand why uh, Paul and Barnabas didn't know what was going on. It was kind of going off at the side. You know, there's a crowd here. He's preaching the gospel, and there's something else going on. All right, so now you saw uh, the FTD guy. We can move on. So the next part of the section says this. But when the apostles, we have, there we go, Barnabas and Paul heard of it, they tore their robes, the Jewish custom of taking their inner garment and tearing it, meaning this is horrible, this is a terrible thing. They're grieving, crying out and saying, men, why are you doing these things? We are also men of the same nature as yours. We're not gods. Uh, we're stuck in flesh and blood bodies just like you. We have the same struggles that everybody else does in living in this world. We're men just like you and preach the gospel to you. We're preaching good news to you in order that you should turn from these vain things to a living God. Isn't that a great line? I love it. The living God. 
Uh, guys, you know we serve the living God? It's not just book knowledge. He's alive. And we're alive because of him. Who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. We're going to stop for just one second. The gospel, creation. You have in your notes there a little mini-sermon comment. See that? That little mini-sermon comment. Uh, just take a sidebar for a second. It's time for a theology lesson. Everybody who made it today gets the benefit of a theological degree bestowed on them today. The decrees of God. Anybody ever heard that? The decrees of God. What did God make up his mind in past eternity? We want, we, you know, my mother used to say this was before you were thunk of, remember? <laughs> Way back. What did he decide was going to happen that would not be altered? You go through any theological text that teaches about biblical theology, there are three things God said, I'm setting this in motion and nothing will stop it. Creation was the first. Providence is the second. And redemption is the third. Okay? God chose to create. Wonderful. Pronounced it all good. Somebody messed it up. Any, any guesses? Us. Us. He chose to sustain and bless in spite of it. That's why it says here, I'm trying, they're trying to communicate to these people, God made everything that is. That's the God you ought to worship, not us or the phony gods that you're used to. That's who you should look to. And we've come to preach redemption. Even though you fell away and God sustained you on the planet and shows his goodness in various ways, um, we need to be rescued from our alienated relationship with God. We need to be saved because we have stuck our tongue out at him. I'm going to prove it to you in a minute, okay? But those are the decrees of God. Creation, providence, and redemption. Look at how uh, Paul and Barnabas, Paul especially, because he was the one talking... Look at his uh, final part of his sermon, the next slide, if you would. He made the heaven and the earth and all that is in them. Is it missing? That's impossible. All right, well, let me make it up then. Here we go. He made the heaven and the earth and all the sea and all that is in them. And in the generations gone by, he permitted all the nations to go their own ways. And yet he did not leave himself without a witness in that he did good. He gave you rains from heaven, fruitful seasons, satisfying your hearts with food and gladness. And even saying these things, they with difficulty restrained the crowds from offering sacrifice to them. In other words, they weren't totally convinced yet about the God that Paul was talking about. They weren't totally convinced. No, no, are you sure we shouldn't say? Yes, I'm sure, look. But did you catch that ending? I preach the gospel to you. God that you need to know is the maker of heaven and earth and everything in it. And not only that, he has done good to you and shown his kindness over the generations by providing everything that we need. Seasons, harvests, food, Things that make the heart of man glad, you know, etc., etc. All the good things that make us want to stay here in this world. Why we're not always in a hurry to leave it. Nor should we be. So here we are. And then he said, uh, that is 
the gospel. The audience is barely convinced. The Laconians are not sure that he's telling the truth. And so we don't know how a lot of that went, but we do know that bunches of people became disciples because a church was established in Lystra. So Paul and Barnabas got past the language block, at least with some people, and preached this good news. And while we're on that little mini-sermon, let me cross-reference it for a second with what the Scripture teaches about that. Because often, you know, I, I don't know about you, but whenever I'm sharing the good news, often the opposition is just, uh, you know, how could God let all this happen and that happen and everything else? And he gets blamed for everything bad, but hardly ever gets credit for anything good. The, I think I shared this years ago. I, you probably don't remember it. But um, I, I was a brand-new seminary student. This is as far as I had gotten in my theological studies was what is called general revelation. God has revealed himself numerous ways. One is in all that is created. And we're going to look at Romans chapter 1 in a second, just a part of it. But Romans 1 talks about creation being a witness, that this is more than an accident. It works like a fine-tuned clock. How does this happen? It wasn't an accident. It's not random. And then the second chapter of Romans talks about what's in the heart of man, the moral nature of man. There's a a reality in there that we know certain things are right and wrong. And we know that when people do wrong things, they should be condemned and there should be some justice. And when they do right, they should be able to live in peace and be rewarded, whatever. How do we know that? And his whole point is that this has been part of the creation. And that is general revelation. But that is not enough to be reconciled to God. The next thing that had to happen is there had to be a savior and the message of salvation to reconcile man to God. So here's what the scripture tells us in the book of Romans, chapter 1, verses 21 through 25. And you can read this more on your own and it'll be very, um, I'm just going to be blunt, it's culturally relevant, exceedingly culturally relevant even though there's hard, fast resistance to what it says. For even though they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks, but they became futile in their speculations. And their foolish heart was darkened. There's the problem. Prone to wander. Lord, I feel. Do you all understand that if you go back to Genesis, when man fell, there was a genetic disorder injected into the whole human race. It's called sin. Okay? It's an inclination to blur the truth so that I don't have to listen to it because I have inclinations to go in the opposite direction. They became futile in their speculations and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for an image in the form of corruptible man. Hermes and Zeus just showed up. And of birds and four-footed animals and crawling creatures. And now it gets worse. Therefore, there's a point where God says, okay, have it your way. He gave them up over in the lust of their hearts to impurity that their bodies might be dishonored among them. For they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. Ooh, 
Ow. Wow, Pastor John, I'm really glad I came this morning. That's so uplifting. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. In other words, there's this rebellion in the sinner's heart. And we're all in that family. The only man that walked the earth that wasn't was Jesus, protected from that. Speaking of unintended consequences, God shows love and favor and sustaining grace to the planet. He provides what we need. He doesn't snuff us out. I'm going to tell you, there are days, depending on what I've encountered in the day, that if I was God, we'd all be gone. I've said it to the Lord. Lord, if I was you, I would just go poof and it'd be over. Oh, I got an amen on that. Mm, Much anger in them. Anyway, you know what I mean. And I say, thank you that I'm not you. Because I wouldn't do it right. And there is a step of faith saying, I'm trusting that you are doing it right. Even with all the brokenness. Even with... As I experienced a couple of last week when we found that, that Paul and Myanmar had passed away, I got to confess, I was not a happy camper. I was a little irritated, and the Lord took me out to the woodshed later. Of course, none of you ever have those kind of problems, I'm sure. God's good, and he's sovereign. And he knows what he's doing, and we need to trust him, even with the unintended consequences. So they worship and serve the creation, the creation more than the creator. Unintended consequences. Think about this. I mean, first of all, I won't, I'm not going to wax eloquent. I had my brother, brother Gary Ingram here a few weeks ago to talk to the fact that we are in a sexually confused and destroyed culture today. I mean destroyed. I am desperate for the sake of my grandchildren, what they're going to encounter, and whether anybody will know what is sane anymore. Not right and wrong only. Sane! Let me say that. Maybe they'll arrest me this week. I keep saying that's going to happen one of these days. But what the problem is, is we have focused on us and what we like and what feels good, and we worship and serve this, the creation, rather than the creator. Same thing can happen. I thought about coming back to the heart of worship. We worship the worship, the songs, rather than the creator. Oh, I just love that song. Okay. How about the one who it's about? They worship and serve the creature rather than the creator. So God gives us these wonderful gifts, and we twist them and pervert them. And we're not even aware that that's what we're doing until the lights come on by the grace of God. So there are some uh, unintended consequences. God knew they were going to do it, but that wasn't why he gave us general revelation and the goodness of God manifested to us and his love and care and his patience and not wiping us out. His hope would be, as the Bible says in another place, that he's patiently waiting for men to repent. But this is how they did. So, well, let's look at the, uh, the last bit of bad news here. And I hate to tell you this. Maybe it's because I had to pull this sermon together so quick because of Mr. COVID striking. I'm going to be done early, Cheryl. Don't get too excited. <laughs> Yo, she says. 
she's had to listen to an awful lot of my sermons, so I can't really blame her. It's like 45 years worth. Boy. Let's look at the mob. So this is the problem with mob psychology, right? We're facing it in our culture today. We do bad things. We make bad choices under the influence of hysteria. So you have a crowd of people, some of whom ran off and said, let's worship Zeus and Hermes, especially Zeus. And then also uh, people who were listening and believed the gospel. And this lame man who probably became part of the first church there in Lystra. How exciting. And uh, yet, some of the disbelief, if we were to look at the verse previously to this, disbelieving Jews. In fact, this is what it says. Let's just see what it, how it followed up. From the last town, they come down. They have connections in this area. Come from Antioch and Iconium, having won over the multitudes. Doesn't take a whole lot to crank up a mob, right? And do something atrocious, which we've got all kinds of stories in our history and all kinds of stories going on around the world today of the same type of things. Because it's not about, I'm telling you, it's not about your religion. It's not about race. It's about the wickedness that's in the heart of the human race. Happens, it can happen anywhere. Unintended consequences. So the Jews came down from Antioch having won over the multitude. Now, that's not everybody, but enough of these people who were five minutes ago wanted to worship. Now they're ready to kill them. They grab Paul, drag him out of the city, stone him. Actually, they stone him in the city, which is not a Jewish custom. The Jews usually take him outside the city and stone him. They stone him first, drag him out and dump him. They think he's dead. Later on in Paul's reminiscis, reminis, his remembering. <laughs> I was shipwrecked this many times. I was stoned. He wasn't talking about this. <laughs> this is what he was talking about. I heard a preacher one time say, that's not what they're talking about because people in the crowd were going, oh, yay. Make it legal. Woo-hoo. Anyway. So sorry. Come on, can't we be real here? Gee whiz. They suppose him to be dead. Those of you who want to read it later, you can see the disciples gathered around him. They're bummed out, but I'm sure they're praying. Next thing you know, Paul gets up. I'm sure they helped him up. And he was hurting. I don't think it's a miracle per se. I think what happened, one of, the, one, of the, um, one of the commentators mentioned, he probably got hit by a rock and knocked out. And it was providential care, God taking him out as though he was dead to save his life. Do you know that God's done that for you probably a few times, right? Amen. I didn't get on that plane that crashed or whatever it might happen to be. I was so mad that I was cut off of the plane I couldn't make it to my appointment, and nobody who got on the plane made it to any of their appointments. You know what I'm talking about. And half the time, I don't think we even know how many ways God has intervened on our behalf. But I have to trust him that he's got it. But speaking of this mob psychology, this unintended consequence, I came across this quote by George Orwell. Anybody recognize George Orwell's name? 1984. I think we passed 1984, but we're heading there. 
I was just reading about things in the People's Republic of China and how oppressive and all of that and why we should be thankful for any freedom we've got left. But here's the point. He said this, the further a society drifts from truth, the more it will hate those who speak it. So if you want people to think you're wonderful because you think the gay lifestyle is wrong, it's not going to happen. Is it wrong? Yes. Do we love those folks? Yes. I love seeing God's grace invade that territory. It's awesome. I hope you know how to love them. Don't expect them to love you, per se, because the further society drifts from truth, the more it will hate those who speak it, till God mercifully turns the light on and gives grace to the sinner. It's one thing when the consequences hit you, like Paul had it hit him. That kind of stinks, and you will have some opposition. In this life, those who love Jesus and live for him will suffer persecution. That's what the Bible says. I've gotten off pretty easy. I've only had Christians pick on me mostly. I'm, I'm True. It's true. Nobody here relates, right? Yeah, I'm sure. Dr. Ashley, you relate. You know what I'm talking about. But I've had a few non-Christians tell me off, threaten me, whatever. Take the Bible I gave my friend, throw it down the incinerator of their apartment building, call me up, jack me up, whatever, and... I was such a dumb young Christian, I didn't know any better. I said, well, I think it would really help you too, sir. Ah, click. (laughs) He didn't like me. Anyway, it's one thing when the consequences come to you. I can buck up under that. But what about when it spills over and affects other people? Can you trust God in that? I have a passage that stuck in my mind thinking of the encounters in the book of Acts. Here's a not-so-pleasant encounter. Before we put the verse up, do you remember, um, did somebody, who, did we pre- I preached on Peter, didn't I? Yeah, he went to Cornelius' house. I preached on that. See why I'm leaving? I'm just losing it. You know, <laughs> tell my son, come down and wipe the drool off your father's chin. You know, that's what I'm kind of, it's bad. Hi, everybody. <laughs> Peter gets put in jail for preaching the gospel. Everybody remember that? The church is praying earnestly for him. What do you think they're praying for? Get him out of jail? No. They figure this is it. You know, Stephen was put to death. They figure we better pray for Peter to be strengthened, to go out with a glorious bang. Like, like Stephen. We're going to hear about that if Steve Atulis, who has COVID, can be back by next week. He's supposed to preach on Stephen, of course. Okay. So, so Peter goes to jail. They're praying earnestly for him. In the middle of the night, what happened? You guys know. What happened? It sounds like a tongues meeting here. Come on, what happened? Who released him? An angel shows up and here's what. Hey, wake up. Wake up. Hey, wake up. Chains fall off. Come on. Come on. He goes out. The angel's coaching him what to do and where to go to leave. So, uh, by the way, angels are real. They're the messengers of God, right? 
<clears throat> so Peter is obeying what God told him to do. Right? I don't think it's the same as when Paul is in jail, which I will probably speak about next week, and he says to the jailer, don't hurt yourself, we're all here. That was a gospel moment, holy cow. Woo! But Peter is told to leave, and here's what happens. They looked the next day, when day came, there was no small disturbance among the soldiers as to what could have become of Peter. And when Herod searched for him and had not found him, he examined the guards and ordered that they be led away to execution. Wow. I, consequences. Can you imagine the front page of the Times-Herald record the next morning? You know? These families hate Christianity because... God sent an angel and did a miracle and took this guy out of jail, and here's what happened. Herod's the murderer, not God. No different than Jesus squaring off with Pilate. You can't do anything to me unless the power wasn't given to you. So the guy who turned me over to you is the one that's going to eat it worse. But by the way, you're sinning pretty good all on your own, Pilate. <laughs> Put the consequences and the judgments where they belong. What happens when it has an impact on others? I have to trust God. Jesus came into the world as a baby, had to run for his life. He, he had to be carried away by his father and mother. And babies his age in the entire environment around Bethlehem were put to death by a wicked man, also named Herod. Does God have that? Can I trust him in the midst of it? And I'm telling you, it's easier said than done. But God does give us grace. Some of the things we struggle with as believers is we start taking up offenses for other people's sufferings. We get ourselves in trouble. Somebody was mistreated or whatever happens. And by the way, if you're standing up for justice, I have no problem with that. And I think that's right. But what happens is I end up becoming bitter and cranky and ungodly because I'm mad about what someone did to you. And it's not me that was done to, it was you. I used to say to my brothers and sisters in counseling continually, make sure you don't let another person's sin become yours. Because they're sinning, you get all angry and self-righteous. And I... Like that dear saint who told me, prone to wander, what, what a bunch of baloney. You sound just like her. It was a her. Anyway, you get it. Taking up offenses. Let me read something that immediately came to mind when I titled this sermon, Unintended Consequences. Some of you read um, devotionals, I'm sure. And... Um, one of our favorites that we did together as a church, beside the Daily Bible, which Dennis, uh, Brother Dennis, I would recommend you taking the church through that again sometime. The Daily Bible. Everybody remember that? That was a learning experience. The other one that we used to do as a church together was Oswald Chambers' My Utmost for His Highest. Anybody recognize that? January 11th, what my obedience to God costs other people. 
They laid hold upon one Simon, and on him they laid the cross. As Jesus was going to crucifixion, this man, randomly dragged out by a Roman soldier, has to carry the cross of Christ. That's not the worst thing that could happen, but it's a consequence, isn't it? Unintended, unexpected. If we obey God, it is going to cost other people more than it costs us, and that's where the sting comes in. Now, here's an assumption. If we are in love with our Lord, obedience does not cost us anything. It's a delight. But it costs those who do not love him a good deal. It costs those who do not love him a good deal. If we obey God, it will mean that other people's plans are upset and they will jibe us with it. You call this Christianity? We can prevent the suffering if we're going to obey God. We must not prevent it. We must let the cost be paid. We have to leave it in the hands of a good God who we have to trust. I mean, think about it. How many parents went nuts when their child made the idiotic choice of going into ministry for the kingdom of Jesus. They had a promising future. Chemical engineering. And now they're living in poverty, full of joy to serve the Lord Jesus. How they messed up everybody's plans. Oh, boy. Stagnation in our spiritual life comes when we say we will bear the whole thing ourselves, but we can't. We are so involved in the universal purposes of God that immediately we obey God. Others are affected. Here's what he says. We can disobey God if we choose, but it will bring immediate relief to the situation. Get it. There's the, there's the catch. Immediate relief, not necessarily long-term relief. Take immediate relief to the situation, but we will be a grief to our Lord. Whereas if we obey God, he will look after those who have been pressed into the consequences of our obedience. We have simply to obey and to leave the consequences with him. I have all kinds of notes written in this page. I made a copy of my wife's version because I'll just let you in a little bit. This book is her diary. As she goes through, she marks the events of our history, the impact that leaving up north in the state and coming here, obeying God, I believe after the fact, realizing it, dull fellow that I was, finally got it, had an impact. It's cost our family something. And other things we could talk about. Somebody choosing to come clean. We wrote her story in here. She was here at my installation, Patty, that when she got right with God and stopped doing the naughty things she was doing, it was going to have a spillover effect on other people. Thank God he healed that marriage and other things as well. But there are unintended consequences that you have to obey God and say, God, I put that in your hands and pray for mercy for those who are impacted. The last line of this little devotional says beware of the inclination to dictate to God to dictate to God in what you will allow to happen <laughs> if you obey him as if what you will allow to happen as if is he worth trusting yes. I have found him to be totally trustworthy I love that song Jesus Jesus how I trust him how I have 
proved him over and over. Proved him. If you're a little stale, maybe you need a new prover, whatever that might be. Let's stand together as we close. And I'm 10 minutes early. I get 20 points for that. Let's stand and pray. And we don't know what COVID's going to bring back to us here, but at this point, the front of the auditorium is still open for prayer if people need it, so feel free. Lord, we want to thank you that you're sovereign and you're good. You chose to create. I don't understand why you chose to create and sustain knowing what a mess we were going to make out of it. It doesn't register in my pygmy brain. But you know what you're doing, and the Bible gives us a hint that we will be full of incredible splendor and joy on the other end of this. We share in your glory and splendor and joy, and minds have not grasped all that you have in store, and you will be glorified, and glorified not only to yourself, but in your saints. It's amazing. In the meantime, we walk by faith and not by sight. So would you help us to do that? And as we think about how you want us to reach out, because those of us who have been born from above, we have received the Holy Spirit, we've been born again, and we know that Jesus has rescued us. We know our destination. We get that. We want others to enter into it as well. We're convinced of that. And so we need help. And Holy Father, we need your Spirit's help on those who need to have their hearts softened so that they don't think that um, Hermes and Zeus have showed up, but they think that the living God is reaching out to them with the good news of Jesus. We pray, God, that we might be fruit-bearing. We pray that we might be full of faith and able to trust you. And Lord, left to ourselves, we are prone to wander. But we ask for your Holy Spirit to strengthen our inner man and woman to please you and honor you. Would you help us here? We bless you and we worship you today. And we give the unintended or unexpected consequences of all of our obedience to you and choose to trust you. And Lord, as much as is possible, make those unintended consequences wonderful rather than negative. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Mm -hmm.